Hello and welcome to the Energy Efficiency Podcast, sponsored by EcoFlap Home Draft Proofing Products, the ideal fit and forget energy efficiency solutions, including the Pet Flap Draft Proof Pet Door. My name is Heather Lindsay and I'm the Communications Manager for EcoFlap. This podcast will bring you energy efficiency news and features all year round. If you have a suitable project to share, please get in touch with me at heather at ecoflap.co.uk. This time, energy efficiency in coffee production, the Mayor of London's new fund for improving energy efficiency in homes, and Europe's positive energy districts. But first, the UK government recently announced a consultation on bringing forward the date of phasing out sales of petrol and diesel cars and vans. The original target date was 2040, But this week, Transport Minister Grant Shapps suggested it could be brought forward to 2035 or even 2032, that's just 12 years from now. Environmental campaigners argue that this earlier date will bring down the costs of the transition to electric vehicles by forcing manufacturers to accelerate investment and production capacity. Sector analysts believe the increased range of electric vehicles, by the end of this year there will be over 100 models available, and their falling cost, makes the original 2040 date an easy target. They say consumers will be switching over in large numbers well before it. Those inside the industry accuse the government of unfairly chopping and changing and failing to provide the incentive and infrastructure that such wholesale change requires. Ministers met the car industry last week, and it's inevitable that pressure would be brought to bear on the government. In particular, the industry will look for answers on how the ban applies to hybrid cars. It's worth noting that the plug-in car grant ends at the end of March. Since its launch in 2011, it has been chipped away at. The original grant was £5,000. It was reduced to £4,500 and then to £3,500, and plug-in hybrids were removed from the scheme two years ago. However, plug-ins will remain exempt from benefiting-kind company car tax. The government can expect the Society of Motor Manufacturers and Traders to insist on the plug-in car grants extension. Coffee is produced in more than 70 countries, the majority of them in the equatorial regions of the Americas, Southeast Asia, the Indian subcontinent and Africa, overwhelmingly developing countries where about 25 million smallholders dedicate themselves to coffee. The process from bean to cup generates enormous volumes of byproducts and residues, so keeping the black stuff flowing requires scrutiny and improvement of the sustainability of coffee production. Processing coffee beans is energy intensive, with roasting alone responsible for up to 80% of a coffee processor's power consumption. The costs of that energy can be the difference between running a business at a profit or a loss. Providing energy for coffee processing could therefore be seen as an obstacle, but it also provides an opportunity for energy efficiencies and innovation. In the Caribbean, the USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service, NRCS, is offering financial assistance to encourage producers to upgrade from traditional and inefficient drying methods to newer, more efficient methods. The EQIP Energy Initiative, EQIP, helps processors migrate to highly efficient new technologies, saving energy and the associated costs, and reducing their use of fossil fuels. One example of machinery that the NRCS is aiming to consign to history is the Batea. 
A batea is a rotational dryer used for drying the coffee beans after the bean has been removed from its exterior skin and gel layer, the so-called wet mill stage. Typically, these bateas are made from scrap parts from trucks and other machines, including using truck transmissions and engines. Many run on diesel, but some use electricity. Bateas tend to be much bigger than they need to be, using blowers originally designed for use in a silo, so they generally use about three times as much electricity than is needed to dry the single layer of coffee beans inside. The rate of drying is hard to control in a batea, so often beans have roasted before they've dried properly, and this affects quality. Bateas need to be replaced by purpose-designed silo-type dryers that are the right size for coffee drying and designed for uniform drying. These silos reuse the heat from the main dryer bed and pipe it back through a pre-drying drying layer, and it has just one motor. Much better drying is achieved with a lot less energy expended. A silo of this type will use just 10% of the energy of a batea run on propane gas. Pruning coffee trees generates a great deal of stem waste. Coffee stems are well suited to use as a solid fuel because they have a high lignocellulose content, a low calorific value and a low ash content. Research has looked at their suitability for power generation in the Colombian coffee industry, which could then power the drying stage. It could also be used to provide domestic power to those who work in the coffee industry. At the moment, the stems are burnt in the fields or used very inefficiently as solid fuel in domestic stoves, to quote from the paper. An analysis of the energy demand and coffee stems availability within the Colombian coffee sector shows that the biomass production level in medium to large scale coffee farms is well matched to their energy demands, offering particularly attractive opportunities to deploy this bioenergy system. Ends. Beyond the stems, husks and pulp from the wet mill can be used as silage and compost. Various elements of the coffee residues work well as biomass and in the production of biogas and bioethanol. Coffee grounds work well in compost, that's where all ours go, and as a substrate for mushroom growing. Colombia relies heavily on hydropower for its renewable energy. It provides 65% of the country's total power requirements. Biomass, therefore, could make a significant contribution in Colombia. It would also bring power to more remote areas and help to make the energy supply more reliable. Bueller Group manufactures food processing equipment and is aiming for top-end efficiency in water and energy use together with minimum waste. In partnership with Norwegian coffee producer Jo Johansson, it is creating the most environmentally friendly coffee processing plant in the world. As well as employing highly efficient machinery and using heat recovery from roasting to heat the building and other processes, the plant will run off biogas and huge solar cells automatically managed for optimum performance. Potentially, the plant will produce more energy than it uses. Curiously, scientists at UCLA have discovered that caffeine can make perovskite solar cells more efficient at converting light to power. Perovskite is a type of mineral and materials made from it are typically easy and cheap to manufacture. Perovskite solar cells have improved massively in efficiency recently, but the search was still on to boost the cells efficiency and their stability long term. Adding caffeine into the mix allowed the perovskite to react with much less energy and increased its resistance to heat, meaning the solar cells would be less liable to heat damage. 
Overwhelmingly, the coffee industry is concerned with climate change, particularly with respect to water supply, biological threats to the coffee trees, and the numbers of small coffee growers who are packing up shop. Researching this, article after article focused on increasing yield and reducing the gap between wealthy coffee roasters and poor coffee growers. Remarkably little is written about improving the energy efficiency of the coffee industry. Hello, Kevin. Hello, and what are we talking about today? We're going to talk about Sadiq Khan's retrofit accelerator for homes. That sounds a bit like the louder you scream, the faster we go. (laughs) It does, but it's actually kind of the more we spend, the cosier you are. So, what's it all about? Well, this week, the Mayor of London... No episode complete without a quote. I know, it does seem to be like that, but it's not intentional. Anyway, the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, has announced a £3.5 million scheme to retrofit London homes to be more energy efficient, to cut bills and to reduce their carbon emissions. Very laudable. Well, it is, isn't it? It's part of his Energy for Londoners scheme, and it's worth mentioning that it's 50% funded by the European Regional Development Fund. So what are the specifics of energy for Londoners? To quote from the Mayoral website, The Mayor's £34 million Energy for Londoners programme aims to make London's homes warm, healthy and affordable, its workplaces more energy efficient, and to supply the capital with more local clean energy. Ends. There's a lot of detail about the various elements of the project on that page, so if you live in London, it's worth reading to find out more. Link in the show notes. So does public apply for this? No. The funding goes to the public sector for, quote, urgent things like insulation, low-carbon heat and so-called alternative power sources. Okay. No coffee asks. (laughs) Probably not. As well as money, the scheme will provide advice to local authorities and housing associations on implementing this sort of large-scale project. What counts as large-scale? Really quite in-depth work to floors, walls, roofs, as well as fitting heating systems that run on renewable energy, so installing solar panels and heat pumps and all that sort of thing. The idea is to use a whole house approach on older homes to future-proof them. Technically, this is known as deep retrofit, as it's a more significant intervention than fitting loft insulation or double glazing, which takes a piecemeal approach to energy efficiency. The idea is that by focusing on social housing, a whole street or a whole block can be tackled in one go, which optimises efficiency and, of course, vitally helps to keep costs down. Future-proofing helps to keep maintenance costs down too. And increase the value. What about the private sector? Private sector isn't covered by this arm of energy for Londoners, but the blurb does point out that the public sector work will help to build the supply chain and prove the business case for what it describes as the retrofit revolution for private homes. The intention is to create new jobs, improve skills. Are you ready for a few stats? London's homes are responsible for one third of the capital's greenhouse emissions. 25% of London's homes have the worst energy rating, 25%. Londoners will spend £3.5 billion powering their homes. And 12% of residents are in fuel poverty, so there's massive amount of work to be done. Having said that, one target is to carry out whole house retrofits on 1,600 houses in three years, which is going to make only a very dinky dent in the problem. Maybe need to be careful about funding a potential advantage for one private company over another by subsidising the cost of resourcing skills and processes, but it may matter who carries out the work. Local builders? 
Well, that's an interesting point. On the one hand, there's the aim to create jobs and improve skills. But on the other hand, you've got big companies such as Energy Sprong involved. Uh, remind me. We've looked at Energy Sprong before in episode six. Energy Sprong builds or retrofits houses to the highest energy standards. Typically, a house makeover can be done in 10 days. It's focusing on social housing in the UK at first, with a view to then entering the private sector, and they operate in quite a few countries, but they're quite new to the UK. The retrofits and bills are uh, bills builds are tied into a funding model that essentially uses the projected energy savings to pay for the works. And their work has won a few awards in the UK, including the World Green Building Council Award for homes it built in Nottingham. Have any areas signed up for it? Not for Energy Sprong, for the Sadiq Khan's project. Sutton has signed up for it. Ironically, Sutton is quite a nice part of South London with low crime and good educational attainment. It probably therefore isn't the first sort of area that springs to mind when you imagine places that are struggling with fuel poverty and poor housing. But having said that, its explosion as a railway town means it has lots of Victorian and Edwardian housing, which will undoubtedly benefit from improvements. That sort of housing is more likely to be in the private sector, though. That's right. But Sutton does have social housing, some of which it's already planning to regenerate. Its website has quite a lot of detail on its social housing and what its plans are. Sutton needs to build more council housing too. It seems at a glance that it has a, a mix of um, sort of uh, housing association delivered social housing and actual council housing. So it's planning to build uh, more council housing and that will be the first in the borough of Sutton for 30 years. So here's hoping that the retrofit accelerator will achieve its aims and inform the building of that housing so that it's as energy efficient as possible. Infrastructure, described as positive energy, or indeed energy positive, produces more electricity than it uses. So it is a net contributor to the energy network. European policymakers are running several neighbourhood scale pilot projects with plans to have at least a 100 positive energy districts operating within five years. To quote Christoph Gollner, of whom more later... Positive energy districts are energy efficient and energy flexible urban areas which produce net zero greenhouse gas emissions and actively manage an annual local or regional surplus production of renewable energy. They require integration of different systems and infrastructures and interaction between buildings, the users and the regional energy, mobility and ICT systems, while optimising the livability of the urban environment in line with social, economic and environmental sustainability ends. <gasps> Although it's likely you haven't heard much, if anything, about positive energy neighbourhoods, they've been under construction for five years, growing out of zero energy building ideas. Two years ago, the EU published its plans to implement positive energy districts. The EU supports them because they raise quality of life in urban areas. They contribute to achieving the EU's energy targets and will place it in the forefront of clean technology expertise. The USA and China are particularly interested in watching Europe's progress. The main question at the moment is whether Europe's positive energy districts can be constructed fast enough and at sufficient scale to make a significant contribution to it meeting its carbon targets. According to the above Christoph Gollner, Programme Manager for Positive Energy Districts and Neighbourhoods for Sustainable Urban Development at the Austrian Research Promotion Agency, retrofitting is the biggest challenge. 
A new build constructed to zero energy standards is one thing, but rolling out the required retrofit to an entire district is complex and time-consuming. The organisation of local bureaucracies doesn't aid the collaborative processes that this sort of project relies on for maximum efficiency. In fact, once you start looking at the detail of energy policy, planning regulations, peer-to-peer energy trading regulation and so on, you swiftly realise that the EU has bitten off a great deal to chew. As Miguel Angel García Fuentes, energy manager at Cartif, a Spanish technology centre, commented, the technical side is the easy bit. It's everything else that is the potential deal-breaker. A positive energy project shared between Limerick in Ireland and Trondheim in Norway includes local residents. They will have a say in the programme, known as Plus City Exchange, which aims to contribute at least 4,500 gigawatt hours to the heating and electricity needs of both cities. This is an interesting take on the behavioural change element of the projects, especially in northern European areas traditionally rich in historic building stock. In this case, Limerick and Trondheim are the lead or lighthouse cities, with several others, including Alba Iulia in Romania and Smolian in Bulgaria, also participating in demo projects. The core aims of these projects are enabling a common energy market, creating connected communities and making recommendations for the policy, regulation and business models that must necessarily underpin such initiatives. If you'd like more detail on Plus City Exchange, please follow the link in the show notes. A similar joint city project is underway, led by Spain, the UK and Turkey, with Belgian and Hungarian cities following. This pilot features low-energy districts, sustainable mobility and integrated infrastructures, and addresses the regulatory and social barriers to be demolished. The project did indeed meet social mistrust when it proposed an EU-funded retrofit project for flats in Valladolid's Fassa district. These flats were poorly insulated with non-existent temperature control and high bills. The residents viewed the proposed Remorban project as meddling and disruption. The Residents' Association voted against the work despite its benefits to their quality of life and alignment with climate change measures. The age profile of the residents didn't help, digital literacy was poor, and they were expected to make a contribution towards the costs. On closer examination, though, it became apparent that only 40% of the residents had taken part in the vote, and only a quarter of those had actually voted against Remorban. The team behind the project went to work on a charm offensive, and recruited the local residents who were in favour of the project. The team approached residents directly instead of going through the leading lights of the Residents' Association and included them in decision-making. The team clearly identified that suspicious residents will place their trust far more readily in other residents than in the big companies who are seen to have a vested interest in the works going ahead. Twenty blocks of flats underwent a deep energy overhaul. One tower has a photovoltaic ventilated facade which produces power that's fed into the district heating network. Attention to detail has been important, for instance, district piping has been fitted with leak detectors. The project has achieved energy savings of between 40 and 50%. The thousand residents affected have flats with more comfortable and healthy temperatures and humidity. District power consumption is down significantly, and 90% of what it does use comes from biomass and PV sources. Its carbon emissions are down by nearly 90%. This same project has been introduced in Nottingham in the UK. 
The definition of energy positive positive energy remains up for discussion. Some definitions include the fuel for public transport systems, and where does embodied energy stand? Should a neighbourhood be completely energy self-sufficient? These and other questions will need to be answered and worked up into a policy framework, but the concept is sound, so this is definitely one to watch. Our event this time is a webinar organised by Efficiency for Access in partnership with Energia and Gogla. It looks at how women access off-grid energy resources and the opportunities that can bring, or not, in societies that don't permit equal freedoms. Understanding these issues plays a vital role in the design and delivery of off-grid energy projects. The webinar is on March the 11th and you can book through the link in the show notes. A completely different webinar ran recently but is available to view on YouTube. This looks at renovating historic buildings for energy efficiency and focuses on Italy. Part is in English and part in Italian with English subtitles. The webinar's proper title is ISES Webinar, IEA SHC Solar Academy, Renovating Historic Buildings Towards Zero Energy. And it's available through the YouTube link in the show notes. And what are we up to? We're building pet flaps this week and have just one reservation slot left. The batch after that will be available early to mid-March. We discovered a few EcoFlap letterbox draft excluders when we were having a clear out over Christmas, so head to the online shop if that's what you're looking for. Next time, wooden buildings, energy efficiency in wine production, and councils demand more money from government for energy efficient homes. Until next time, find us on Twitter and Instagram at EcoFlap, and we also tweet at the Pet Flap.